and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile strategy game. On this week's edition, the Brazilian Grand Prix, Nico Rosberg isn't yet the world champion, but is Max Verstappen the new Ayrton Senna? That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and joining me this week to review a wet and wild Brazilian Grand Prix, his name's Fernando Campos. He's assured me he's dried out after the race, and he's from podcast F1 Brazil. Fernando, how are you? Hello, Michael. Hello, everyone. I'm fine, just dried out from the race, and uh, <laughs> pleasure to be here. <laughs> pleasure to be here to recap this eventful and awesome Brazilian Grand Prix. It was a bit of a slow burn, I suppose, but it came alive in such an incredible way, considering that sometimes we thought the race was never even going to finish, considering Mm -hmm. how much rain there was. I guess there's so much debate about the the conditions and what effect they had on the race, but you were a man who was there. You can tell us firsthand just how bad was that rain? We arrived at a circuit at 7 a.m. The race ended at barely 6 p.m. It was, it was raining the whole way through. We knew at the circuit that the conditions was, wasn't going to get, to get better, mm-hmm. even though they red flagged it, which was, which was actually worse because they had a trail going, they had a racing line going, but mm-hmm. after the red flag, it, it got erased pretty much. So it was raining a lot. We were at a, in a sector that didn't have a roof, so we were uh, enduring that rain. Mm-hmm. And at times we looked pretty much like homeless people. We were missing only the dog and the fireplace. After, uh, aside from that, we were looking like homeless people because like plastic all over us, plastic on the, <laughs> the bags, otherwise they would get wet. So it was, <laughs> it was uh, hard, but it's part of the fun of enduring something to, to watch <laughs> It's all part of Formula <laughs> 1, I suppose. Raining is a part yep. of Formula 1. That's something, it's a debate topic that's actually been brought up quite a bit this week. And we may as well start with that, uh, considering that running in the rain has been a topic of conversation pretty much the whole year because we've had a couple of wet starts uh, to Grand Prix mm-hmm. this season. Next year, they're going to tweak the rules regarding safety car starts. It means that there will still be a standing start after the rain's cleared enough. What was the reaction from the stands? The Brazilian Grand Prix is known for its passionate <laughs> fans, but when the safety car start was announced, or when it started, I suppose, uh, I mean, people didn't tend not to react to it that well, do they? It was mixed feelings because we were sitting at the main street and we we could see how bad the spray mm-hmm. was. After three or four cars, we couldn't see a thing, and the spray was actually reaching us. So we didn't like it, but we could understand uh, the FIA thinking on starting with the safety car because it was quite bad. And like I said, it was raining the whole way through, so we knew it wouldn't get better any mm-hmm. sooner. Yeah, and it's really, it's. I mean, it's down to the fact that it is safety, and it's also the exploratory aspect, which they're keeping for next year. The fact that drivers want to know where all the puddles are <laughs> and where the grip is, so they're not just going blind, which I imagine helped Lewis Hamilton. Now, when you woke up on Sunday morning, I certainly, when I woke up sort of 10 minutes before the race started, because <laughs> it was 3 a.m. where I was, uh, and saw the rain, the first thought was, well, this is no good for Nico Rosberg because all season long, he's really been no good in the rain. I guess this was just, you know, if the start was the one opportunity for him to maybe jump Hamilton. I mean, did you think the race was lost to Rosberg as soon as you saw the rain coming down? Rosberg has been playing with the the, the advantage he has. So from six, from five races uh, from now, he hasn't been uh, as risky as he was. He hasn't been aggressive as he was. He's playing with the difference he has. So if he gets a second place, a third mm-hmm. place, it's okay. But when it's raining, the race is pretty much unpredictable. He can miss, he can lose his car way, way more easily. 
So he, w I, I guess he was a lot more nervous. And when we saw Verstappen attack on him, we knew that he mm. was really scared. And, <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure that the last uh, third of the race, he was running with uh, engine save mode because mm -hmm. he, Hamilton opened like 20 second advantage uh, from Hosberg in like 10 laps. It was absurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Hamilton said he was just chilling the whole time, which I don't know if I'm inclined to believe or not. <laughs> it's hard to chill there, I can, ass I can assure you that. Going 300 kilometers an hour in a wet track, it's hard to chill. Yeah, I reckon so. It's interesting as well because one of the stories we've had in wet races all year and almost for the last good few years, considering we don't ultimately get that many wet races, is the wet weather tyre, Pirelli's full wet weather tyre. Drivers love complaining about them, and this was no exception. And a lot of drivers tried to switch to the intermediate, as we'll talk to momentarily. Uh, it didn't really work for them because it was just way mm -hmm. too wet. This is something that's got to improve for next year, I suppose, because ultimately the, the fact that the drivers didn't have confidence in that tyre, even though they all use mm -hmm. them in the end, probably contributes to how much they can race when it's really wet like this. Yeah, the blue tyre became the safety car tyre, mm -hmm. pretty much. Yeah. Like, they, they only run with the wet tyre when they are behind the safety car. And drivers started to use the inters because they started to see the trail. And I guess they don't like, like you said, they don't like the wet tire. It feels uncomfortable. And it, it feels like it is designed for a reasonable rain, not a really extreme rain like mm -hmm. we had. So it, it has to be tweaked. And the inters actually kind of uh, worked a little bit. But then we had the red flag and this, the, the, the racetrack got pretty much restarted as well. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the fact that a lot of drivers did switch. About half the field, in fact, did switch to the intermediate tyre uh, pretty much straight after the opening safety car returned to the pits. Kevin Magnussen started it, I guess, because he had nothing to lose. And also, he knows he's leaving Renault. <laughs> so if he crashes the car, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it didn't really work for anyone, though. It seemed like the pace was improving. There were some times that cars were... One second, one and a half seconds faster, but it's so it was so unpredictable, like you said, because the rain never really eased up. I mean, do you think this was just too big a gamble for some of these cars to to risk the intermediate tire? I guess it's the usual train of thought. When you're with the the blue tire, you want to get to the green tire as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Actually, Bottas thought about starting in the interest because when he got to the grid, we saw that like on the grandstand. He went to the grid with the, the green tires. Mm -hmm. So I guess Williams tried to start in the green tires as well. Of course, they, they, they had second thoughts. <laughs> but they, yeah, they risked it. And it's a good risk to take. But the, at least they had the red flag to switch it up. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to waste a full pit stop. And uh, it's, I guess it's the usual, the usual train of thought. You want to get quicker as soon as possible. And the track was getting better because they, they were starting to, to set the racing line. And uh, the the red flag just just uh, restarted it. It was funny to see on the second red flag red flag because a lot of people in the grandstand thought the race was over. So mm -hmm. a lot of people left the circuit. Right. A lot of people left left the circuit because we saw that on the television. They seem to a lot of people seem to come back as well mm -hmm. once the engines fired up. So I just assumed everyone went and grabbed a drink or something to kill <laughs> some time. But were people actually leaving the track? No, people got mad because they wanted to see a race. They wanted, mm -hmm. they wanted to see a race going right. But we we could understand they especially after Bianchi's crash in Suzuka, mm -hmm. which wasn't actually only the rain's fault, mm -hmm. but after that they are really they are really conservative regarding rain. But a lot of people thought the race was over. Started doing the math with half the points and left the circuit. Perhaps. A lot of people like on. The, on the fence, we had dozens of flags, uh -huh. just like uh, wrapped up, Ar Argentina flags, Uruguay flags, 
after the second red flag, we had like three or four because th th those people left the circuit. I guess a lot of people had flights booked up already ah. and they thought the race was over, so they left the circuit, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I remember once one of the Malaysian Grand Prix I went to was also rained out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, yeah, I almost missed my flight, yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of, you know, I can understand the temptation to not want to miss your, your flight, but oh, <laughs> they missed they missed a serious race by the end of it. Hopefully some of them made, made it back into the track at very least. Yeah, it was the, the, the longest Brazilian Grand Prix in history it was like three hours and a minute mm. so oh trust me I was counting those minutes yeah. until I could go back to bed I can tell you that <laughs> I can't imagine it we, we, my reaction on the Malaysian Grand Prix you were on was the same because it's a it's an evening race for us so I was mm. having the same reaction <laughs> Now, one of the things that, although it seems like because we had a red flag period in the middle, lap 20 was the first one, that it sort of neutralized the race. In reality, a lot of drivers lost out because they'd risked that early pit stop. In fact, about half the field did, including both Red Bull cars, including Sebastian Vettel, because they'd already made this stop onto the intermediate tyre that wasn't working. Yes, they got a free stop back onto the wets, but it sort of meant a lot of drivers found themselves out of the running. But alternatively, the drivers who had looked to Mercedes as sort of the king of strategy mm -hmm. this year of Formula 1, both Force India, so doing Perez, Hulkenberg, Carlos Sainz, even Felipe Nasa, which will become important towards the end of the race, and likewise Esteban Ocon, suddenly found themselves in the top 10 and potentially scoring a whole lot of points. Can you imagine the tension that must have been in those garages? Lap 20, you're running in the top 5. <laughs> like Marcus Winkelhock leading the European Grand Prix, right? <laughs> those two guys... Nasser and Ocon started right in front of us. They were the last, uh, the last row, mm -hmm. the twenty-first and twenty-second. And all of a sudden, we were seeing Nasser in sixth, in sixth, and Ocon in seventh. We couldn't understand a thing. <laughs> and they were really, really, really lucky because they had the red flag to to go through. And we were discussing after the race: Did Nasser actually had a pit stop? And he didn't. He played mm -hmm. with the Mercedes, like you said. And played it perfectly, made his race, didn't bother about uh, copying anyone's uh, strategy. And don't get don't get me wrong, because he didn't get ninth place just because of strategy, because he fended off Alonso, he fended off mm -hmm. Vettel for for dozens of laps. So he had a great race apart from being apart from being really lucky. Yeah, and I think this goes to show in the battles we've been having, especially in the second half of the year, which is largely been between Mercedes and Red Bull Racing. Normally, we're praising the risk taking Red. Bull mm -hmm. takes, especially when you compare to Ferrari, which is taking pretty much no <laughs> risks and inevitably Red Bull's winning. But in a race like this, where not only do you not know what the weather's going to do, but it's it's really, really wet, track position is again the absolute key thing, as we found for almost everybody, except for Max Verstappen, <laughs> but everyone else. As long as you are on the track ahead of other cars, it was almost too hard to overtake. And I do want to ask, because I found this really interesting. We talk a lot about uh, the idea of the wet line in, in wet races, it seemed to me as if almost every driver had forgotten about that except for pretty much Max, because everyone was just following everybody else, except on the main straight where there was a lot of spray mm -hmm. and they wanted to move out of the way. And so no one was, was doing a lot. When I think Verstappen, and granted he had new tyres towards the end of the race when he passed almost everybody, but he was the only driver really taking advantage of that. Oh, Verstappen pretty much ignored the concept of a racing line. That overtake <laughs> he, he did on Nico Rosberg on the outside it was just I don't care if it's wet I'm gonna find grip here and I'm gonna overtake you I don't care how mm -hmm. he he went for it he went for it and it's it was really really awesome to see that happening because we were doing the math 
like it was 10 laps to go he was I don't know seventh and we were discussing oh he's going to overtake Nasser but he's not going to get to the podium there's only 10 laps left mm -hmm. and he got Veto and he got Sainz <laughs> and he got Perez with two laps to go mm -hmm. that was absurd he closed up on the next guy really really quickly of course he had uh, he had new tires but he almost got the race on his hands on the second safety car mm -hmm. if the rain had eased up there he would have new enters and he would be in fourth close to the guys with a track that was drying up. If the track dried up there, the wind would be his by a mile. Mm. Now, this is the fascinating part of the race, and Max Verstappen is easily the most talkable part of this of Grand Prix. <laughs> he was, as you said, ahead of Nico Rosberg after the second red flag. He passed him in a, in a really ambitious move that Rosberg didn't really seem any interest in defending, probably <laughs> didn't see him in the first place. But then Red Bull gambled that second place, what should have been a second place, potentially first place, who knows, but second place anyway on the intermediate tyre. Even though everyone was saying on Team Radio that the rain looked like it was going to increase. Now, I guess this is all part of the idea that to, to beat Mercedes, you have to do something different. But I guess this really, that almost lost him the race. Yeah, what we thought there was, okay, Ricardo pitted three laps ago. He He's mm -hmm. running with Inters. And maybe Red Bull saw that the Inters are going well. So they're going to set uh, Verstappen with a set of, of green tyres as well. That was our train of thought. And if you see, Bottas uh, ended with uh, intermediate tires as well. And Verline tried it as well. So the track wasn't as bad as we think that everyone had to run with blue tires. But it was a risk anyway. Because like we said, we knew the rain wasn't going to get better. So he was betting on the racing line, mm -hmm. which of course didn't happen. And when he saw that the, the tires wouldn't last until the end of the race, he decided that, okay, I'm going to stop now and I'm going to uh, push the Mad Max button here, try to overtake <laughs> everybody and their mother and try to get a podium here because... It was better to, to, to have a tire exploding. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems just about like that. And I think he said at the end of the race, you know, there's not like there's a championship on mm -hmm. the line. I'll, uh, you know, I just want to have fun out there pretty much. What was incredible is just the number of cars he passed. He dropped all the way down to 16th, yep. I think it was. And then some cars stopped. But in essence, he passed everyone up to third place. And the parallels this race uh, has been drawn against, uh, and particularly poignant, I think, given uh, that we were in Brazil, some of the best drives of Ayrton Senna, uh, Max Verstappen was being compared to. Does that ring true for you? Is this one of those great drives that we'll be talking about in, in years and decades to come? I saw some tweets about it after the race, and I can agree with you about it, because... He found grip where no one was finding. He overtook half of the grid with 10 laps mm -hmm. to go. In a wet, he, he's truly a great driver in a wet track. So it was a stuff of legend, sorry. Because we saw a lot of drivers being way too careful, Rosberg included. Mm -hmm. Whereas he was giving, he was just being, uh, he was just trying to have, to have fun. <laughs> he was risking it. Like, like you said, he didn't have a championship to worry about. He was just trying to be to have fun. And he was decisive in every single overtake. Because if you think, if he got stuck behind Sainz or Vato or Nasser, for, for, for example, he wouldn't be able to reach Paris because mm -hmm. he had very few laps to go. So he had to, be, he had to be decisive and direct in every single overtake he went for. Vato didn't complain a lot about that overtake. On the, on the third sector, which I thought he would complain a lot mm -hmm. about. 
but Verstappen did everything absolute perfect, which he needed to in 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 order to get a podium. Mm, Vettel, I think, maybe a little bit chastised after the events of uh, Mexico and all the fallout and so on. <laughs> but I, anyone who hasn't seen it, go and look at the lap chart because it is almost one car a lap that Max Verstappen passed in the final part of that race after changing off the intermediate tyres, which he had to do because they just simply weren't working and the rain was increasing. And like you say, if it hadn't increased the rain, he he could have ended up there or further up anyway but an interesting strategy from Red Bull Racing nonetheless and again like a, a classic drive and I think it's really interesting because Lewis Hamilton's the man we normally talk about in modern Formula mm-hmm. 1 as a guy who just masters conditions like this we all remember uh, a Silverstone 2008 wasn't it where he yeah, won yeah. by an incredible number of seconds it was more than a minute <laughs> I think it was in fact which is ludicrous when you think about it while Massa was spinning seven times right yeah exactly <laughs> and you know you can't necessarily say that that's just the difference in yeah, quality yeah. of the drive but these guys are, are really really good in the wet Hamilton obviously had a pretty easy time uh, in Brazil he was in the front and he, he led from there but can we? What can we read out of this? The fact that Max Verstappen did so well, Hamilton didn't have to do that well because he was already in front. But do you feel like there's a there's a challenge coming to Hamilton's wet weather throw? Oh, that's for sure. If you see that save Max mm-hmm. did on the uphill section, that half spin he had, he was like centimeters off the wall, and that was right in front of us. <laughs> that was shocking. We we thought he was going straight to the wall because we saw Ericsson and we saw Massey mm. spinning on the same way, and he was as calm as he could, like, just spun, just turn the wheel, stop, turn the wheel again. So he has that finesse that you have to, ha- that you have, to have on wet, wet races. He, he knows where the grip is. We saw on the overtaking Nico Rosberg. He knows where the fast lane is, and he knows how to control the car. He, he showed every single talent he has in wet races on, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible to see that save, actually, and I encourage anyone to, if it hasn't been taken down by the powers <laughs> of Formula 1, to go onto YouTube and find the Dutch commentary for that moment, because it is very impressive <laughs> to watch. Uh, it was, yeah, it was an incredible drive from Max Verstappen. There are a couple of other drivers I do want to talk about who had less incredible drives. Uh, I mean, we could talk about the crashes, but I want to talk more about Jensen Button, who really, in conditions like this, uh, is the man everyone looks to is the guy who can read the grip read the conditions he switched to intermediates twice during this Grand Prix including before before the first red flag and then a little bit afterwards and just could not get anything to work in fact I think he crossed last of all the finishers who, who crossed the checkered flag he was last of all of them it's really unusual to see a performance like him in these conditions yeah and it's not a top speed track that would uh, sacrifice McLaren's uh, McLaren's speed Mm-hmm. But he was the second driver to try out the intermediate tires. Only Magnussen tried it before him. And he was the second driver to try it uh, on the second time. Only Palmer tried after him, which is no parameter. But <laughs> <laughs> it was like a risk-taking race, just like Verstappen. But he went for the, the wrong risks. He took mm-hmm. two strikes there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe he, was, he wasn't in his best uh, best. Uh, performance. It was funny because we saw the grid going, then we had Massa, then we had Button way, way, way behind. And mm-hmm. the, the, the guys that are going to retire, they just like gave up on a race. Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to complete this. Okay, 71. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
it's an interesting idea to, to, to bring up. Certainly Jensen Button does sound like he's looking forward to retirement. Certainly after that race, you can say that much. <laughs> um, if we look at the cars that did crash, and this is... Actually, before we look at the cars that did crash, I want to look at the cars that were really affected by uh, the red flags and in between the red flags, because there were two of them. They were almost joined because there wasn't any real racing between them, only safety car laps. First of all, I want to ask, that second red flag, as we sort of mentioned, uh, contentious amongst a lot of people, but even amongst a lot of drivers, some of whom seem to suggest they didn't understand why they were having a second red flag when conditions were improved. Do you feel like that second red flag was called for? Could we have had more safety car laps? Could we have had some racing laps? Or was that the only way forward? I feel like we had way too much safety car laps because they were trying out the track, Mm -hmm. okay? But when you're almost reaching 10 safety car laps and those laps are are race laps that are going to be wasted... Mm -hmm. Just red flag it and wait, wait to see if it is going to improve. Mm-hmm. Being Interlagos, we knew that it, it wasn't going to improve. <laughs> so, and the second red flag, so just go straight through it, straight through the, the second red flag. They tried out the track, it was extreme. Hamilton said, I don't know why they're red flagging it again. It's extreme conditions, it's natural for Formula One. And it, it didn't improve, I can guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. The, from the first one to the second one, it didn't improve. Maybe they saw the reaction of the crowd. Maybe they saw the rejection on the media, maybe. But it didn't improve. They just wanted to risk it after after our reaction there or the reaction from the people on the whole world watching mm-hmm. it and being uh, maybe not not agreeing with the FIA on the second red flag decision. I'm glad you do say there, though, that the red flag is useful to save race laps because I think that's a thing that a lot of people don't think about enough. When they see the red flag, everyone just says, well, it's overcautious, it's an abundance of safety, all of which is true. I mean, safety is important. That's an important part of the red flag. But what it critically does, as opposed to the safety car, means that if you can wait for the conditions to clear, which they didn't really do, but they did clear up enough that they could resume, mm-hmm. it means you haven't wasted any laps. And ultimately, everyone at the track, everyone watching on the television just wants to see the full distance, which to the FIA's credit, we got exactly the full distance. <laughs> yeah, we, we had seven laps behind the safety car mm-hmm. before the first start. Then we had maybe six or seven trying out the track mm-hmm. before the second red flag. So there we have almost 20 laps wasted behind the safety Not wasted because they were, they were trying to see if the track was okay. Mm-hmm. But we could divide that by half. Yeah. If we had 10 laps to try out the track, that was enough, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't waste as much race as they did. A couple of drivers who uh, had so much potential in this race, but ultimately was not fulfilled. The first is Kimi Raikkonen, who crashed out from third. We forget how high Kimi Raikkonen is. In fact, Kimi Raikkonen had, a, other than the crash, <laughs> obviously, a pretty good weekend overall in Brazil, except it all just came undone in the conditions. Him and Grosjean, but before we talk about Grosjean, he had a pretty good weekend yeah. in Brazil. It's a Kimi Raikkonen weekend right now. Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't shine, he doesn't doesn't call up our attention, but he's there fourth and third, being consistent, and he's up there. He's just Kimi Raikkonen now. Mm. It's his mojo. Yeah. And Grosjean, Grosjean was actually three tenths behind Kimi Raikkonen on the qualifying on Saturday. Okay, it was dry, but he was three tenths behind another Ferrari engine, so he had a lot of potential starting out in seventh, and he is a good uh, wet weather driver. Mm-hmm. But he spun out on the installation lap. That can <laughs> show us how bad the condition was. Yeah, absolutely. Because he was driving at... 
six kilometers an hour and still spun <laughs> out. So, and a lot of people spun out there. Yeah. So that can show you how bad the condition was. Yeah, absolutely. He's a driver that we, yeah, we've hardly mentioned at all because well, he didn't take part in the race. Uh, it was disappointing to see Kimi Raikkonen's race end there. Another man who had a lot to race for but didn't work out, granted to no fault of his own though, was Nico Hulkenberg, who at the first red flag was running in fourth. Uh, the first red flag caused after Kimi Raikkonen's accident, of course, but then picked up a puncture on the way out of that intermediate safety car period between the two red flags had to stop dropped all the way down to 15th recovered to 7th but so much to play for considering well a podium could have been at stake considering he would have been defending against Max Verstappen at the end of the race could have done it who knows yeah he almost won here in 2012 mm. in raining in raining conditions with the Force seniors so of course Hukenberg is a man to watch he had a pole here when he was at Williams so he's a really good not only wet weather driver but Interlagos driver. Yeah, he he, he was he, he was really unlucky, especially being behind the safety car, almost like Ericsson in in Hungary that he spun out mm-hmm. behind the safety car. Yes. Really, really unlucky. He he had potential. Yeah, extremely unfortunate for him. But it was nonetheless a big weekend for Force India, considering neither Williams' car finished in the points, but Force India both had points finishes and some high points finishes. So that's good news for them in fourth in the constructors' championship, which has been their target. Uh, for the entire year and another driver whilst he wasn't running particularly high because the Williams is no good in wet conditions but was Felipe Massa in certainly what was the emotional touch point of this Grand Prix Uh, he crashed out he caused a safety car which actually kind of worked (laughs) for him because he got to walk back to the pit so I guess you know there's it's a bittersweet ending if you like but tell me a little bit about the reaction from the stands because this is a guy who's been around for ages he's won hearts everywhere he's gone pretty much we were discussing that it was almost better for him to to crash out there <laughs> than finishing 12th uh, at the end of the race and I can guarantee you that a lot of people cried mm-hmm. me included I, I caught myself crying like a child when <laughs> he started so he was right in front of us mm-hmm. the first massa massa cheer was we started it <laughs> and when he started to cry there it was it was touching because a lot of good memories and he had a lot of Humanity. The way he reacted in 2008, that mm-hmm. he lost the title on the last last corner, and he still like cheered and said that he was going to be back. He had a terrible crash in Hungary, mm-hmm. so he had a pretty up and down career. He was really humble, really like he 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 was a really kind driver. Everyone liked him on the grid. Seeing him crying over there, walking right in front of us, and then Mercedes showed up. Mm-hmm. I, I would understand if Ferrari showed up because he was a Ferrari driver. But Mercedes showing up to applaud him was mm-hmm. something I wouldn't imagine and really touching as well. So we caught ourselves crying a lot like babies. We were cheery. All of a sudden, we look for look left, look right, and everyone is just trying to to, to wipe out the cheers because they did the tears mm-hmm. because it was amazing, amazing. Good, good to see that in person. And he went out in a good way, something that even Barrichello didn't have mm-hmm. because... He left Formula 1 because he didn't have a seat, so he didn't have a farewell uh-huh, race. Yeah. Massa had, and it was a pretty, pretty honorable way to go out. I know, I certainly found myself with a, a lump in my throat at that point, because <laughs> Felipe Massa was my the driver that got me into Formula 1 in you know, that oh, 2008 really? season. Wow. The way, like you say, he reacted at the end of 2008 was the like defining moment where Formula 1 went from like a, a nice sport to watch to the sport, <laughs> that, uh, nice. you know, the, my sport, you know. Um, tell me a bit about 
you know, Felipe Massa, how much is he regarded in Brazil? He's certainly well regarded in the paddock and around the world, even though he hasn't won a world championship. But considering there is such a, a long list of, of fantastic uh, and iconic Brazilian drivers in Formula mm-hmm. One, what's his standing amongst the Brazil community? I can say we have two types of uh, Massa fans, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. The one that was used to Senna and PK and Fittipaldi and can't uh, recognize what Massa me- meant in how he reacted in 2008 and how humble mm-hmm. he is because they're used to see the Brazilian winning or being on the podium every single mm-hmm. race. So when Massa starts to get 4, 5, or 6, even though he's giving everything he has and he's being a second driver to Alonso and he's trying everything he can, the, the paddock respects him because they see the driver he is. Mm-hmm. But the the regular uh, Brazilian F1 fan who used to to wake up to see Ayrton Senna winning, not to to watch the race (laughs) itself, doesn't have that bond with Felipe Massa. Just see him as a failure, Mm -hmm. as a quote-unquote failure. Because, oh, after 2008, after the the incident in 2009, he wasn't the same. He, he's just a driver that is there. He's not successful. He's not. Uh, we can't respect him. We had something like that with Barrichello after he became, he started to be a second driver to to Schumacher, mm-hmm. and he was an ever champion. So that heritage that we have to see Senna, PK, and Fittipaldi always winning is a bit of a problem now because when the person is not an, an avid F1 fan, can't see the effort that he's putting. Like uh, Nasser getting a ninth place with a Sauber is like a mm-hmm. win. But for the person, he was supposed to get third, second or first to get our attention because that's how the person was was used to see the Brazilians always winning and the Brazilian anthem and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. The, the last Brazilian to win a race was Barrichello in 2009. Mm. Yeah. So there you can see that the, the usual Brazilian fan is starting to get mad and they start to to, to, to discount that on Massa. And Massa reacted like that pretty much because the people there that are on the circuit are the, the avid F1 yeah. fan. The fan that knows what he meant for the country and for F1 itself. And we recognized that and applauded him because he went through a lot in Brazil. I can guarantee you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was certainly a touching moment, an end to his career, one race to go. There is one more Brazilian on the grid. You mentioned him there, Felipe mm-hmm. Nasa. Hasn't got a seat for next year yet, though, it must be said. But ninth place for Sauber, which has elevated them to 10th in the Constructors' Championship in what was a pretty tense, if largely untelevised, battle uh, <laughs> for points against Estevan Ocon from Mana. Uh, that's an important place. And I guess, you. I mean, you mentioned that. He's not a driver that's winning races at the moment, but it'd be pretty important to maintain a Brazilian in Formula One, I'd have thought, as it is for pretty much any country to have an interest in Formula One. Yeah, Eccleston has a, a particular interest in keeping a Brazilian in the calendar because we, we are a big audience, mm-hmm. regardless of a Brazilian winning or not. But Nasser's reaction after the race, it was pretty unexpected because he started on 21st, so we, we didn't expect even, even a point. Mm-hmm. So his radio after the race, did you get to, to listen to his reaction? I don't know that I heard it, actually, no. He was pretty much crying, like Grosjean's radio when Haas got a 6th or 7th. Mm-hmm. He was crying on the radio, like, this is a win for us, I can't believe we got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why we don't give up. So that shows us how Sauber is a mess and how he could get away from that. And that can guarantee him a seat in Sauber or Manor because those are pretty much the only ones that are left. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of talks with Forsenia, but that obviously ended up with Ocon, with Renault, but that obviously ended up with Palmer and mm-hmm. uh, Hockenberg. 
So at least for one more year, if he can endure Sauber and Manor, we know that he has some sort of an arm because mm -hmm. it's not easy to get a Sauber to the points in a, <laughs> in a soaked Brazilian Grand Prix. Let's see, he has money to back him up. Let's see, uh, I'm not that scared that we will not have a Brazilian on the on the grid mm -hmm. next year. Of course, he would be. He won't be getting points every race, but it's good to have at least one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and surely Sauber can only improve from this position, although they are <laughs> using sure. old engines next season, <laughs> so we'll wait and see. A fantastic drive for him, an important drive for him, oh, unless you're a Mana fan, I guess, then it's not so good because your, <laughs> your Mana team is no longer scoring a lot of money, and it does have implications for those race seats, but that's a story for another day when they make those decisions. The Brazilian Grand Prix was a fascinating Grand Prix. It was worth every minute in the end. It was a long one, but absolutely worth the racing we were delivered there's only one question left now and that is what do you think's going to go down in the final race of the year in Abu Dhabi Rosberg maintains a championship lead but well you know anything can happen in Abu Dhabi have we seen in years past I can see the the most logical uh ending there would be Hamilton first Rosberg second playing it safe and being champion just like that mm -hmm. just like he has been playing safe for six or seven races mm -hmm. But everything can happen. We remember 20, 2014 when he mm -hmm. had a failure and just wanted to finish the race. It's not a safe difference. It's mm -hmm. far from that. He has a lot to fight for. I guess if he gets third, he will still be a champion. But with Red Bull improving, I don't know. Maybe Red Bull can play a part on the, the championship decision. And let's see. It's not that safe for Rosberg. He has the, the, the trophy on his hands. But Hamilton can take it away pretty dang easily. It will be a fascinating race to watch. Fernando, if people want to hear more of you and people want to find you, where can they look? Well, if they speak Portuguese, <laughs> that's an important <laughs> factor. <laughs> they can find me on Podcast F1 Brazil or Boteco F1 on YouTube, as well as the Brazilian pages of Apex Race Manager. So mm -hmm. if you speak Portuguese, you can find me there. I sometimes tweet in English. So if you <laughs> want to find me on Twitter, at F Brandão Campos. I guess that's a little bit hard to get, but I'm sure that will be on the post. <laughs> yeah, just go to the F1 Strategy Report website. You'll find it all there. Fernando, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And we're out of time for this edition of the Strategy Report. If you want to read more about the strategy of the Brazilian Grand Prix, go to f1strategyreport.com for Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Sao Paulo. Or search for F1 Strategy Report on Facebook and Twitter. The F1 Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the new name for the mobile strategy game you used to know as Formula Legend. You can download it for iOS and Android devices and search for Apex Race Manager on Facebook and Twitter. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter. And be sure to join me in two weeks' time when we look back on the final round of the year, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix.